reading tonight uh, is from 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, from verse 1 to 11. That can be found on page 1153 of the Church Bibles. That's page 1153, 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, from verse 1. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, It is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. This is God's word. Good evening. Uh, Thanks very much for reading... Natalie, and um, let me pray. Dear Father God, we just thank you for the opportunity uh, to study your word. We thank you for the freedom that we have to do that uh, week by week. Father, I I need your help uh, as I seek to explain your word. And Father, on this warm evening, um, please help us to be attentive uh, that we might be alert and receptive to what you're saying to us, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I wonder whether, as Natalie read that passage, you thought about which of the gifts mentioned in verses 7 to 10 you possess, which you don't have but wish you did, and which you are not really sure about. And did you wonder, as many do, which of those gifts are still gifts for believers today? That's a sort of thorny issue, and I'm confident that I've timed this message sufficiently well not to have time to cover that. (laughs) That may please some and disappoint others. Um, We're starting a new uh, section uh, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and it's obvious from uh, verse 1 that the issue of spiritual gifts was one that was troubling the believers in Corinth. They were probably asking questions directly of Paul, or if not, he had picked up the fact that there was confusion around the subject. Either way, he recognised the need to address the issue. Um, Before we start looking at uh, this evening's passage, I would like first to give you a a brief outline of the three chapters, 12 to 14, which are devoted to the subject of spiritual gifts. And secondly, I would just like to make reference to the other passages of scripture which deal with spiritual gifts. Uh, So firstly, Uh, the briefest of overviews of chapters 12 to 14. In the remainder of chapter 12, 
Paul likens the church uh, to a body. And just as the body comprises many different parts, each with its own role to, to play, to enable the whole body to be healthy and function well, so that's also true of the church. Believers are equipped with different gifts to be used in serving the church. And in chapter 14, uh, Paul specifically deals at some length with two of the gifts, a prophecy and speaking in tongues uh, in the context of worship. And he concludes with the instruction, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. You might well ask, what is sandwiched between chapters 12 and 14? And the answer is chapter 13. Uh, and that, of course, is the well-loved passage on love. And Paul expands his earlier comment back in chapter 8, verse 1, where he writes, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. And the Christ Corinthian believers needed this warning. All the exercising of their spiritual gifts was worthless if done without love. A strong message that comes through chapters 13 and 14 is that love is demonstrated when we speak intelligibly in our meetings so that the believers may be built up. The measure of the greatness of a gift is not how it impresses people or its apparent miraculous nature, but its usefulness in building up the body of Christ in truth and love. And secondly, I would like to make reference to spiritual gifts mentioned elsewhere because I think that gives a better overall understanding. Uh, these are principally mentioned by Paul. Um, I think we get a distorted view of the gifts from uh, these verses 8 to 10 alone. Uh, even towards the end of chapter 12, in verse 28, if you just um, flick down there, there's mentioned two of the gifts of helping and of guidance. In some translations, uh, we, the word administration is preferred to guidance. And there's no definitive list of spiritual gifts. Uh, unlike the Ten Commandments, we know that there are Ten Commandments. Um, I've got here two listings of spiritual gifts. They total 21, nine from today's passage and 12 from other scriptures. I think if... Um, coming up on the screen. So in today's passage, we have these uh, gifts mentioned, prophecy, wisdom, knowledge, healing, miracles, tongues, interpretation of tongues, faith, distinguishing between spirits. Um, but let's look at the, the gifts mentioned elsewhere, uh, principally by Paul. The gift of teaching, Encouragement, evangelism, shepherding, helps, leadership, giving, administration, service, uh, lead, uh, leadership there, and mercy and hospitality. And one definition of a spiritual gift is, I think this is quite a good definition, any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. I think we often tend to think uh, that the spiritual gifts are those that are in the realm of the supernatural. But that's not true. 
There are different ways in which we could put these gifts into groups. Um, but the breakdown which has the greatest appeal for me is speaking gifts, service gifts, and sign gifts. And clearly, it's principally in the area of the sign gifts which Paul had to address with the believers in Corinth and where controversy still arises in the church today. The church in Corinth was being torn apart by a false belief that the more ecstatic your experience in worship, the more you were filled by the Holy Spirit. The thinking was that your spiritual maturity and God's blessing upon you with his spirit were measured by the extent to which you gave yourself over or were taken over by the Spirit. Or to use another phrase, were in the Spirit. But it was false thinking, and Paul was seeking to correct this. Corinth was full of different religions with the worship of multiple Greek gods and indeed gods from all over the world, all with their own temples. And the style of pagan worship had crept in to the Christian church. It absorbed these pagan experiences, uh, failing to recognise the hand of Satan upon them. And so a sort of pecking order developed. As an example, a teacher would be ranked as less spiritual than a prophet, and a prophet as less spiritual than the person with the gift of tongues. So it's not difficult to imagine the damage that was being done to the church in Corinth, causing some believers to be boastful and proud of their gifts and status, and others envious, dissatisfied with their own gifts, and desiring the so-called greater gifts, and with them the greater status and standing in the church. Spiritual gifts were designed to build up the church. The way the gifts were being viewed in Corinth was actually dividing the church. Sorry, that was a bit of a lengthy introduction, but I thought it was just helpful uh, to get a, a broader overview of the uh, gifts, spiritual gifts mentioned in other passages too. So I'll break down um, this evening's passage into three parts, uh, paragraphs one to three. And in paragraph one to three, we have a, a foundational truth. Many of the new believers had been duped as pagans into believing that the temple idols which they had worshipped were really gods, that those pagan gods had personalities and held authority. And Paul was reminding them that that was not so. They were dumb idols. Um, we read that in verse 2. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. That's all they were worshipping. These dumb idols had no means of communicating. Of course, those worshipping the, the, the idols would arouse themselves with great excitement, believing that they were communicating with the living God. So Paul emphasises how different it is now for those believers. They are believers in the true God. He is not dumb. The Holy Spirit is not dumb. And the work of the Spirit is to speak the word of God 
into the hearts of those to whom he chooses to do so. And the only test we see in verse 3, the only test which identify those as true believers is not the demonstration of any gifts, which may not be spirit-given. The only true test is the confession that we see in verse 3. Jesus is Lord. No one can make that confession, Jesus is Lord, and live under the Lordship of Christ without being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And likewise, anyone who says, Jesus, be cursed, cannot have the Holy Spirit within them. It is only by this confession that Christians can identify each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me look at, um, move on to verses 4 to 6, where we have unity and diversity. Read verses 4 to 6. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. There is a unity in the Godhead in working, in serving and in giving. Each person of the Trinity is mentioned in these verses. Each person of the Trinity has their own different function. And that is the model for the body of Christ. Each member, whatever gifts they are given, whatever service and work they are called to do, has a common purpose in being under the authority of the head of the body, that is Christ. And what is the ultimate purpose of the church? It is to bring men and women to a conviction and to confession. That confession that we read in verse 3, that Jesus is Lord, and that is to build his church. That is the Father's ultimate aim. There will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And it's the Spirit's constant work to exalt the Lord Jesus so that men and women will be able to make that confession, Jesus is Lord. Sadly, it's clear that many churches have lost sight of that overriding purpose. For some, it has been many, many years since they recognised it, if they ever did. But many did at one time and have lost sight of it in favour of gatherings which are designed to draw in those who wish to be excited, those who wish to be stirred emotionally, those who wish to witness the miraculous and supernatural, and those who long for an experience for themselves. For those who are moved by the worship music, but with little or no regard to the songs and those who are more interested in the charisma and eloquence of the teachers than in the truth of their teaching. So in these verses 4 to 6, we get the words gifts uh, in verse 4, service in verse 5, and working in verse 6. Uh, the Greek word for gifts, many of you will be familiar with, is charisma, or charismata, the plural, which means a gift of grace, a gift of God's grace. And then verse 5, uh, Paul broadens gifts to include service. 
The word used for service originally meant, the original idea was waiting at tables. That is the idea of just being available and ready to serve and help people. A minister is a servant. A ministry is service. Our service as believers is under Christ's lordship and we're enabled to serve by Christ's power within us. And of course, Christ himself was the ultimate servant, as we're all familiar with that verse in Mark's Gospel. He came not to be served, but to serve. And then in verse 6, the, the Greek word for working denotes energy and power. But it's God's power which works through us all. So to summarise, whatever we do in the church to build up the body is inspired by and energised by God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And what we call the spiritual gifts are the means by which we do that work. Our exercising of our gifts, our serving and our working all go hand in hand. It's one thing to recognise the gifts that God the Holy Spirit has given us. It is another thing to actually use them. It may involve hard work, labouring in difficult and hostile situations. So we must accept our differences and we must recognise that anything that happens to build up the body of Christ is the result of the three persons of the Godhead being at work in his people. This should be evident in any church that has, as its purpose, the making of disciples of Jesus Christ. I continue to be amazed at God's goodness to us in equipping us with such a variety of gifts amongst our people, people who do light in using them for the purpose of exalting Jesus and building up this body of believers. Let us continually thank God for his grace, his goodness, to us as a church. Last week I had a few days away, just four nights, and I think I was more refreshed by it than by any other holiday I've taken on my own. And that was not because I stayed in a luxury five-star hotel with a spa, or because I spent the entire time on a beach. Just to be clear, I didn't do either. But it was because of the five believers I'd arranged to meet at different times, all with different gifts, all humbly serving in different and quite challenging settings, but all committed to exalting Jesus and making him known. Most of those have been believers for between 20 and 50 years, but for one young guy, it has just been five years. It was thrilling to hear how close to death he was delivered from his addiction to drugs and how he now craves living for Jesus, longing to grow more like him, open to serve him in whatever way God directs him, with whatever gifts he has given. It would have been worth every one of the 230 miles for just the half hour that I was able to spend with him. So let us look at uh, verses 7 to 11. And if we could go to the next slide as well. Um, in these verses, Paul makes three statements to correct uh, misunderstandings. Uh, which must have arisen. And first, at the beginning of verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit. 
in verse 7, every believer has a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So what is a, a manifestation? It's an unveiling or a revealing. What Paul is saying is that the Spirit within a believer reveals himself to be present in the believer's life in varied ways. So taking spiritual wisdom and knowledge from verse 8 as an example, if spoken to the congregation to build up other Christians, they are evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in that believer. But equally, those with the gift of helping, uh, mentioned, mentioned that earlier, back down in verse 28, they, that, also, um, that gift also demonstrates that the Holy Spirit is at work as people prepare this sanctuary for our Sunday gatherings, by cleaning, by setting out chairs and Bibles, by producing orders of service, by setting up the sound and lighting, by preparing to welcome people, and so much more. They are equally spiritual gifts. So do those with the gift of hospitality. And this assumes that the helping and the provision of hospitality is motivated, as I know it is, by a love for Jesus as their Lord and a love for the believers they are serving. The Holy Spirit is as much manifested in those roles as in the preaching and teaching. So very few will have any reason to say that there is no role for them to serve the body of Christ. Let us appreciate and value each other's gifts. And then in the um, second part of verse 7, we're told that it is these gifts are for the common good. The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. I think this is a challenge for us all. It certainly caused me to think, as I prepared this, why do we exercise the gifts that we have and serve in the roles that we do? Is it for the common good, to bless others and to build up the body of Christ? Or is it sometimes to meet our own need, perhaps even to boast about or promote our gift and ourselves? Or is it to help build our identity. It's very easy to become obsessed, obsessed with ourselves, with our image, with the success of our ministry, with the desire to be popular. We know that the Holy Spirit is working on us when he turns us away from focusing on ourselves in order to use our gifts and our service for the common good. I hope that the last 15 minutes or so and the few hours I've spent over this week have been for the common good. And yet it's so easy to offer to teach and preach to satisfy one's own need or to please the person who asked you. So I think it's quite important to reflect when we serve, are we doing it out of habit? Are we doing it for our own needs? Or are we doing it for the common good? And then in verse um, 11, we see, read, all these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. We have no say 
over the gifts that we are given. We cannot learn gifts. We cannot give gifts to each other. Although we can help each other to identify and develop the gifts that the Spirit has given. Paul lists some of the gifts. I don't think it's helpful necessarily to go through the list of gifts in verses 8 to 10, as commentators and scholars have different, different opinions on the exact definition of some of them. However, it's interesting to see um, that faith uh, appears in that list. And there are some gifts that we might have in, in, in different measure. Uh, all believers must have faith as a gift in limited measure. But some believers will have been given a full measure of faith. We know of believers who have been convicted about the need to pray and act over a matter and will have the faith to pursue it, whatever the circumstances and whatever the apparent risks attaching to it. I think we're all familiar with uh, those who've gone on to the mission field and you think, what an amazing um, act of faith uh, to go in such a, a difficult situation uh, with a family, um, but they've exercised the faith uh, that God has given them uh, to go and to minister there. And there are other gifts mentioned in other passages that all or most believers will have in some measure. Many believers will not be called to be teachers, but they will be equipped to help teach new believers or children with the basics of their, their faith. And so I think it's important not to dismiss uh, some of the gifts that we might say we don't have the full measure, but we can use that gift in some limited way. Um, we might look at the list of gifts and say, ah, evangelism, I'm not evangelist, and you can actually bypass that. But that must not be used as an excuse for not sharing the gospel with families, friends and colleagues. And one of the gifts which we unearthed earlier in one of the other passages was given. Giving. Uh, giving. Um, that is a gift. But surely that is a gift that we all ought to exercise, uh, particularly in supporting the local church, according to the extent to which God has blessed us. And it's interesting, in this list of uh, gifts here that Paul has mentioned, with the exception of tongues and the interpretation of tongues, all of them are gifts which Jesus exercised in his ministry. And some would maintain, for that reason, we should expect them to continue to be available today as the body of Christ continues his ministry of building his church. But we know that the Holy Spirit blows as he wills and cannot be restrained. He is sovereign and decides which gifts he gives and to whom, and perhaps, to, and perhaps when also. There are lots of things we could take away from this passage. I'm just suggesting three. Firstly, many of the gifts which were prevalent in the church at Corinth and which created tensions, are not gifts that we exercise here at Christ Church. And yet, subconsciously, 
or even consciously, we can be guilty of ranking gifts and even ourselves according to the relative importance which we attach, them, attach to them. We must ask God to keep us from doing that. Secondly, let us always consider the motive behind the gifts we exercise. Is it always for the common good to build up the body of believers and for the ultimate purpose of exhorting Jesus and of desiring that unbelievers will come to that point of making that confession, Jesus is Lord. And thirdly, may I suggest, and I think we're good at this as a church, but may I reinforce the need that we all exercise the gift of encouragement, that we recognise the gifts of others, and especially those who are slow to recognise their gifts for themselves. They may feel, and there may be some who feel that their gifts are really not important. Let us encourage people to recognise that the gifts that they've been given have been given by God uh, for the purpose of the common good. And uh, we need to encourage people um, to recognise that and to recognise their value uh, to the body. Allow me to pray. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, thank you for entrusting your children with spiritual gifts with which to serve your people. Please help us to be diligent and using the gifts which you have given to each one of us here. We pray that we will never boast in those gifts but will delight in using them for the common good of building up your people and with the ultimate purpose of drawing men and women to yourself. We pray in the name of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. Amen.